good evening and welcome to our midweek online time of prayer and devotion as we continue tonight in our summer series in the Psalms. And we're going to pray here as we get started. And if you are part of our CLBC Church family, I sent out an update today on both some ministry and mission items that are praiseworthy and some things that we can pray for, as well as looking forward as we are hoping and praying for the best and are thinking toward some additional fall plans. Those are contingent right now, uh, but we are making plans to continue to try to do some additional things as it's safe and as it's suitable for our church family. So please stay tuned to that. A lot of it's going to revolve around uh, school and how well it successfully relaunches and some things that are uh, related to that. So please continue to pray, and we'll keep you informed as we can. As you know, our approach has been uh, cautious, but also optimistic, and that's the way we want to remain. So let me pray with you, and then we're going to get into Psalm 147 uh, together. Fathers, we bow before you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your provision in our lives. We thank you that we have the privilege uh, to gather around your word and Lord, your Holy Spirit is our teacher, and we're encouraged when we look at your word and we're reminded of who you are and who we are in you. Uh, Lord, uh, continue to build hope in our lives and remind us that you are our sustainer and you're our strength, and we look to you, Lord, in all circumstances. And we do pray as uh, circumstances around us continue to change and uh, things are uh, shifting constantly. Uh, Lord, help us to maintain an optimistic outlook, and we pray that there would be uh, some positive things in the days and the weeks to come, and that you would be glorified through that, and that you would keep our uh, church family together and uh, keep us encouraged around your word and help us to lift each other up in prayer. And I know there's some that are dealing with some specific issues right now, whether it be health or family um, or maybe related to to loss of family members. Lord, there's so many things going on, but you're sufficient to meet them all. And uh, we pray your blessings now on our time together in your word, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, the message is from Psalm 147 with a very simple title, Praise the Lord, which is the theme of the entirety of this psalm. If you look at Psalm 146 through Psalm 150, all begin and end with a call to praise the Lord. As you look at many of the other psalms, uh, the psalms are filled with really gut-felt calls for help from the Lord. Some of them are in some very dire circumstances. Help is immediately needed. But these psalms turn particularly to a heart of praise. Psalm 147 is going to call us to praise four specific times in verse 1 and 7 and 12 and 20. And just a little bit of context about this psalm, it was probably written after the exiles returned from the promised land, after they had been in exile in Babylon for about 70 years. So they had a lot to praise the Lord for, to be thankful to him in their circumstances. And there are three stanzas here that begin with a call to praise and then give us some specific reasons for praise. These are uh, repeated themes that emphasize the goodness of God that is shown in his grace 
the greatness of God that is shown in his creation and the faithfulness of God that is shown in his provision to his people. Then there's also a contrast between the blessing of God and the support from God toward those who fear him, as well as uh, his displeasure toward those who don't fear him and don't honor him. So I begin reading in Psalm 147 and verse 1, and here's what the scripture says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Verse 7, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders, and he fills you with the finest wheat. Verse 15, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. There are three aspects of this idea of praising the Lord that I want to focus on in these few moments that we have together. The first is that we are to praise the Lord for his grace. Now, I love the way J.I. Packer puts this. He says, grace means God's love in action toward people who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to the cross to descend into hell so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. Now, it's interesting that verse 1 of this psalm connects with other verses in the psalms. Psalm 33 and verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Psalm 92 and verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 135 and verse 3 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. So there's this idea that rises up at the outset of this psalm that to sing praise to God and to give praise to God is a good thing. In fact, it is a beautiful thing. Now, unfortunately, we don't hear as much praise as we should. Uh, we tend to drift toward 
complaining spirits and critical spirits if we're not careful. And while complaining is common, it is not very pleasant. And even more so, it's not very pleasant to be around. Jeff Mannion wrote in The Land Between, uh, allowing a complaining spirit to make itself at home. He said, the heart drifts toward complaint as if by gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. It arrives as an uninvited guest. You return home from yet another frustrating day to discover that complaint has moved into your guest room, unpacked its luggage, started a load of laundry, and is rooting through your fridge. Even as you seek to dislodge complaint, as you move its bags to the curb and change the locks, it crawls back through the guest room window and complaint resists eviction. He says, before we know it, complaint feels right because it's familiar. With every struggle, we become the Israelites murmuring in the desert. We miss the faith lessons, and God desires to prepare us and build things into us, but we are hunkered down in our pattern of response. We need to wake up and notice what is happening, and we need to evict the spirit of complaint. Now, for some of you, this might be a convicting word because I've seen your Facebook timeline. I've seen your social media presence. I've heard your words. And the message to you is, fill your heart with praise rather than complaint. Everybody sees the negative. It doesn't take an expert to see the negative, but it does take a spiritual person to be able to see the positive and to believe that God is teaching us in a moment when it might not be a positive circumstance and it might not be anything that is very pleasant for us. And he tells us here that we are to praise the Lord. And praising the Lord comes from a heart of faith, not a heart of complaint. Now, verse 2 says that the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He rebuilt Jerusalem through the labors and skills of these godly leaders, men like Ezra and Nehemiah. And he rebuilt Jerusalem all because of his grace. And I think this may be a specific reference to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. Uh, there are some connections here. Uh, in Nehemiah 9 and verse 6, the Levites prayed, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bow down before you. Nehemiah 12 and verse 27 says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving and with songs of accompaniment. Now, it's important to note that while the rebuilding of the walls was fairly quick, once they got going in a 52-day span, the restoration of Jerusalem as a city was a much longer process. In fact, the restoration of the Jews to the land had begun all the way back in 538 B.C. under Zerubbabel, the few that were able uh, to return 
weren't able to complete the rebuilding of the temple. And then Ezra led a second return to the land, and then Nehemiah led another one. And the restoration of the city along with the people spiritually took a long time. It was decades, maybe as long as 90 years in total from the time they started to the time they finished. But here was one thing that was consistent through it all. The grace of God was with the people. And no matter what we're going through, even if we need a spiritual rebuilding, we can be certain that the grace of God is with us. Now, I love the language here because he notes the type of people whom God used for the rebuilding and who God uses for the rebuilding. He references outcast in verse 2, the brokenhearted in verse 3, the wounded in verse 3, those who are humble in verse 6. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God doesn't use people only who seem to have it all together to do his work? But he specializes in using people who might be outcast in the sight of others, who might be brokenhearted in their spirit, who might be wounded because of the circumstances of life, but who have humbled themselves in the sight of God. You remember the words of Jesus when he quoted from Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4? He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. So Jesus referenced the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. And the truth is God chooses to lavish his grace on people who are broken so that we will not glory in ourselves, but so that we will give praise to God because he's worthy. Now, sin brings us to these realities. Grace delivers us from them. Sin gets us into the difficulty and grace rescues us from the difficulty. So we are to praise the Lord for his grace. And then secondly, we are to praise the Lord for his greatness. Praise the Lord for his greatness. Now, you'll note here that the psalmist is having the discussion about God healing and about God restoring. And then what does he do? He almost turns on a dime. As you're reading, you're, you're seeing these truths about people. And then all of a sudden, he's talking about the greatness of God in his creation. Specifically, he counts the numbers of the stars. And he says, listen, God gives a name to them all. Now you think about how overwhelming it is to look up at the night sky. If you're somewhere where there's not a lot of light pollution and it's a good clear night, there's more stars than you can count. And even if you could count the ones that you could see, there's so many beyond that that you couldn't count them. And yet God not only knows the number of those stars, he gives each of them a name. And I don't think that's just figurative. I think that's speaking of the infinite knowledge of God and his power and his greatness over his creation. Great is the Lord. He's abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And that's what the psalmist tells us. Listen to the way Isaiah put it in Isaiah 40 and verse 26 and following. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. 
He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power. We see the greatness of God all around us in creation. You can read it for yourself again, but there is no reference here to Mother Nature. There is only a reference to our great God. The God who is involved in making the clouds. The God who is involved in sending the rain. The God who is involved in causing the grass to grow and feeding the animals. Even the God whom birds are objects of his tender care. God's greatness is seen in his creation. One of the things I love about this great state that we live in here in West Virginia is the evidence of the greatness of God in creation that is all around us. We only had a few days, but we were able to get away last week. I was back here on Sunday and glad to be here. But last week we were able to get away for a few days and, and see some of the beautiful places that we enjoy in West Virginia. And every time I see those places, I am in awe because they remind me of how great God is, that this is, this is by his power that these things have been created. It's by his word that these things have been spoken into being. And the greatness of God is experienced by those who fear him and who hope in his love. He makes a reference here in verse 10 and 11 to the strength of the horse and the legs of a man. This is a figurative reference, I think, to an army of sorts, a king might boast in his powerful army who is strong and well-trained for battle. But did you know that when God looks at the greatest of all human armies, at the strongest of all earthly powers, that God is not impressed? In fact, did you know there is nothing in the greatness of humanity that could impress God because he is greater than it all, than, than all of it? You see, God is the one who raises the dead. We're talking about the God who parts the seas and who calms the waters and who heals the sick and who can give sight to the blind. He's the one who has made all things and he is the one who sustains all things. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him all things were created, speaking of Christ, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you know that if we were able to go around the world uh, and keep going around the world, uh, it would take us 20 full day drives to make it around the 25,000 mile circumference of the earth if you drove all day? We live in a big planet. But as you know, this planet itself is small even compared to the remainder of God's creation. The earth is tiny compared to the sun. 
If you had just a sense of the immensity of the solar system and you thought about really how grand it is, and then you think the greatness of God is so much greater than all of that, how could we be left at any place other than to be in awe of God, the one who has created and the one who holds all things together? Can you imagine the creativity and the power that is involved in making all things and sustaining all things, in making all things out of nothing, and then sustaining all things by the word of his power? Can you wrap your mind around that type of power? It leaves us in awe of the greatness of God. And then the third idea here is that we're to praise the Lord for how he provides for his people. Now, the references to Jerusalem, to Zion, and to Jacob refer specifically in context to God's chosen people. This is none other than Israel that is being referred to here. God was their God because he loved them, and he chose them, and he selected their dwelling place. And the idea of God's chosen people having been raised up as the nation of Israel, through whom the Messiah came to give us the eternal hope, is a vision also of what is yet to come. Because in Christ, as a part of the family of God, we have much to look forward to and much to hope toward. God is exalted here. He says he's exalted because he strengthened Jerusalem's gates, symbolizing her security from enemies. He's blessed her children. He's given them peace. He's given them the finest of things. And you'll notice toward the end of this psalm that there are specific references to snow and frost and ice and cold. And then the last two verses provide a contrast between Israel which had received God's words and statutes and ordinances and other nations who did not have them. And all of these things are important. Being in the family of God's important. Having the word of God is important. Having God's care over us and providing for us is important. But I want to make a statement here that I think is central to this entire psalm. And here it is. Our greatest need is for more of God. That's our greatest need. God is the gospel. He's the good news. He's given us his only son. But our greatest need is for more of God. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9 says, Which of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We are to make the primary pursuit of our lives, the primary purpose of our lives, a passion for knowing God. And we ask God for many things. But the greatest gift of all is God himself. That's the greatest gift of all. And when we have God, we have all we need because we have all we need eternally. 
The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones of yesteryear said, I'm not asking whether you know things about God, but do you know him? Are you enjoying God? Is God at the center of your life? Is he the soul of your being? Is he the source of your greatest joy? Because he is meant to be. Let's turn those now to our own lives. Not just a quote from a preacher, but a question uh, or a series of questions for our souls. Do you know God? You see, that's the purpose of this psalm. To show you that the way to know God is by His grace. He invites you to come and to follow Him, to believe in Him, to be in awe of Him, to fear Him, to place all of your faith in Him, to place all of your eternal trust in Him. And He says you can come by grace. It's a gift. Just come. And He'll welcome you. So do you know Him? But then the second part of that is, are you enjoying God? Is your life wrapped up in a series of complaints? And are you spending all your time criticizing everything that you see? Are you wrapped up in the public and the political realm so much that you've lost sight of what it means to have the joy of the Lord? He's to be the center of our lives. When we ask that question, is God the center of your lives, your lives, and your life specifically, really all you have to do is just look at your priorities. What do you care about? Are you communing with God through prayer? Are you spending time with Him through His Word? Are you seeking to learn more and more about him and are you finding your joy in him are you chasing after all this other stuff that always comes up empty because it's not enough only God is enough for the human soul A.W. Tozer said to truly know God we must long for him without any other motive than reaching God himself. What's your motive? Is it to get something out of God? Or is it to know God? Our motive must be to know God, and then he decides what he wants to do in our lives. So the theme is to praise the Lord. How and why we praise the Lord is because of His grace, because of His greatness, and because of His provision in our lives, which is primarily Himself. You know, the, another way I think you can determine whether or not you're truly seeking to know God is whether or not you're thinking about what it's going to be like to spend eternity with him? I mean, do you ever have thoughts when you're praying about what, what's it going to be like to be around the throne of God and to bring praise and glory to the Lamb? What's it going to be like to be in the new heavens and the new earth? What's it going to be like to be in a place where there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no lostness, there's no pain, 
It's only perfection. And that's the hope we have as believers. Joy now and a hopeful future. And when we think that way, it doesn't matter all this other stuff that's going on around us. All that stuff's just, just, it's just things we deal with and learn through. But at the heart of it all is knowing God and praising Him for who He is. I'm going to pray with us and then uh, I'm going I'm to close out our time together. I hope to see some of you out uh, who are able, physically, and ready uh, to be here with us on Sunday. We're continuing to gather in our three Sunday morning services, plenty of room spread out. So thankful for those of you that are staying faithful and staying connected online and a lot of different reasons for folks doing that, whether it be health or family members. And I want to encourage you as well. I know this is a challenging time. We miss you and we know that you miss us, but the Lord's going to sustain us and, and we'll be back together soon enough. Uh, so stay encouraged. Let me pray for you. Father, it's been good to be in your word this evening. Uh, my soul has been nourished uh, through these psalms this summer. I'm grateful, God, for the truth of your word that tells us about your character and who you are so that we can be drawn into a closer walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would bring a spirit of encouragement to all of us, that the Holy Spirit would be our counselor during these days and build our hope, make us people who are filled with faith. And because we're filled with faith, we can deal with any circumstance. So, Lord, bless the rest of this evening. We look forward to gathering back together, whether it be in person or online this coming weekend. And uh, thank you for your grace, your goodness, and your provision to us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.